Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today I have Ravneet Uberoy, a group PM from Box, on the show. I've been thinking a lot about making sure that I'm nailing the basics and sweating the details this year. So in this episode, Ravneet gives her take on one of the most important things for product managers to get right, and that's how to build strong relationships with your engineering teams. I hope you enjoy it. Ravneet, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm excited because today we're going to talk about a topic that I think comes up over and over again, and that's how to work effectively with an engineering team. There are so many stereotypes about product managers and engineers out there, so I'm excited to get into some specifics. But first, where I want to start is with the experience that all product managers have when they're new, and that's having to convince your first team of engineers to actually build something. So, Ravneet, when we talked before, you had a great story about this. What was your first experience like, and how was that different from sort of what you expected? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't agree more that that's sort of, you know, I think getting that relationship with engineering right can be some of the most daunting moments for a new PM. I know that when I first started out as a product manager, I was expecting the stereotype of, you know, a group of somewhat cynical engineers. But I think I didn't quite realize how alone I'd feel in that first moment where you're standing in front of a group of five, six engineers and trying to pitch an idea to them and get them excited. And and what you get back is sort of just blank stares. And I don't think I realized just how lonely that like one versus many dynamic could feel of like 1 p.m. and many engineers. And I think that's when I realized that this was something I would really, really need to work on to get rid of that dynamic and really work as a team together. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's so much sort of built up around, okay, I want to get this right. I, you know, I don't want to mess this up and this is my moment. And then, yeah, you get that room of people just kind of looking at you like, is that it? (laughs) You know, and then it's sort of like, okay, where do we go from here? Yeah. How did you approach that? And, and like, what was your strategy for how you kind of solve for that problem? Yeah. So I think in the beginning, I realized that I just needed to fully immerse myself with my scrum team. Like I had to spend the majority of my time with the engineering team, really getting to know them individually and as a team, um, understanding their day-to-day, understanding what frustrated them and what excited them and why they were in this role to begin with, understanding like what kind of languages they like to code in, like really deeply understanding them as individuals and as a team before I could take a step back and kind of go back to sort of vision and strategy and so forth. Um, so I took a very personalized approach to building individual relationships. Mm-hmm. Were there any specific rituals or practices that you think helped you make sure you were doing that work? Oh, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, first off, I set up one-on-ones with every engineer on the team and had a regular cadence going around that so that I could build those individual relationships. Because I realized that, you know, I think sometimes we think of the engineering team is like this one unit, Mm -hmm. but really it's a group of people with different interests, different motivations and reasons why they're there, different things that they want to learn more about. So I took the time to sort of get to know each person on the team uh, through one-on-ones. I tried other rituals like setting up weekly lunches for the whole team to bond. I made sure that I kind of spent enough time just in the area where the engineering team was, you know, I mean, obviously I was seated right next to them, which also helped because I very much thought of the scrum team as my core team, um, mm-hmm. but made sure that I spent enough time physically there in a given day that I wasn't just always running around in meetings. So I think just that that presence was a big part of it. I'm curious what other tactics you tried to help working with this? Because I think, you know, I've definitely done the have one-on-ones with everybody, but I even think that sometimes 
those are awkward Mm. and it's hard to figure out like what the right approach is and like why you're doing it. So I'm curious, like what were the other sort of things that you tried and that you found worked for you? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things I thought a lot about was like, how do I break this idea that like I am in product in a different function and they are in engineering in a different function, you know, like I didn't want us to think of ourselves as coming from two different departments or functions Mm -hmm. and having to work together. I very much wanted it to be like, we are one team of six people that have like a mission that we're on. And so I never wanted to be in a meeting where it was like them presenting to me or me presenting to them. I wanted it to be a conversation. Things like weekly demos, where when engineering presents their work on a weekly basis, I made sure that I had a demo to bring to the table as well. And my demo would be a customer story of the week. Like, here's an interesting conversation I had with the customer. Here's a use case. Here's analysis I did on the data and what I'm seeing. But I made sure that I had a demo to bring to the table as well so that it wasn't, it was never sort of a unilateral sort of communication. And so I think that really helped. Similarly, I think posting customer stories on Slack, as soon as I had a customer conversation, I would post like a use case alert in our team Slack channel just so that the team felt like I was also contributing context and information and I had something to show for the work I was doing. And that helped, I think, bridge some of the the awkwardness in, in the conversation. Yeah, I love that idea about or the point about how it's not your function, product versus engineering. It's one team trying to achieve an outcome. And I definitely think that the point you made that is really important about how you have to bring something to the team too. It's not just how do I convince logic the engineering team into doing what I want them to do. It's about they have expectations that, you know, we have to bring the right data to, to prove that the stuff is that we want to do is right. And how do you build up trust so that you guys can work together and actually like have a good working relationship, I think is super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as part of building that trust, I realized that like, if this was going to be a two-way conversation, then I really had to ask them for their input. Mm-hmm. And so that meant not just sort of coming in with, you know, here are the requirements, here's what I've seen, et cetera, but saying, here's what I think we should do based on what we're seeing, based on these, you know, various customer examples I've been bringing in over the weeks, based on what we've seen in the data, but what do you guys think? And I think just always taking that extra second to ask, like, what does the team think? And then waiting for a response and not moving forward without getting meaningful input from your engineering team can go a really long way in starting to make this a two-way conversation. One of the things I've tried to do is always make my first port of call when I have an idea is my engineering director and my design director. So the second I have an idea, they're the first people I go to to say, okay, what's your first reaction to this? Right track, wrong track, you know, what information would make this argument more persuasive? I think that's a question I've used a lot, which is, okay, you have an idea, you're going to an engineering team, and then you can say, okay, it feels like this idea is not working. Like what information could I bring that would would get you excited or make you believe that this is the right thing to do? Yeah, I really like that. But totally agree. I think seeding that idea early and often with your engineering team as compared to waiting for it to be fully baked can also go a really long way. Like I learned that I used to think that I had to have it all buttoned up. I had to have all the data, all the research, just like go in and convince. But instead I started to see it as like, this is iterative with my engineering team as well where I come in with a 30,000 foot level view of like, this is what I'm thinking directionally. It seems like, you know, the company's heading this way and here are some things we might want to think about. So like start percolating those ideas early and then get the team's feedback and iterate on it together until like when you get to the final result, everyone is actually bought in because they've all been invested in it from an earlier point in time. Right. 
there's a myth that the idea of what we are working on has to come from the product manager. Or I'll think a lot of people get into product management thinking, oh, I'm going to be the one who decides what we get to do and what we're going to build. And I think that's such a bad sort of feeling to have because it doesn't really matter. Like we don't win. We don't get any points, I guess, for having the right idea. We get points for creating customer outcomes. And so I I often think that the best ideas I've worked on have come from engineering in the first place. Oh, yeah, 100%. I agree with you. I've definitely seen that. Like, I mean, to me, the best ideas just they come from the team that's entrenched in the problem and like wants to work on solving that problem. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't even be able to tell like where the idea came from because it was this group effort. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So what are some examples? I think a lot of PMs might be listening to this and saying, yeah, yeah, I've got it. I have a great working relationship with my engineering team. What are some things to look out for that actually mean that there might be more work they can do to have a better relationship? (laughs) Going back to that initial example of sort of like pitching an idea to your engineering team and getting blank stares in return. Mm -hmm. I think that's like that first indicator, right? Is like when when you're getting blank stares, when there are no follow-up questions, when the PM is doing all the talking and there is sort of, there isn't a conversation, I think that's that's kind of an early indicator that the team isn't bought in, Mm -hmm. that you definitely need to be sort of more aligned. I think the other thing that I notice is for me, once you have an idea and you're talking about it and so on, like one of the things I look for is like, is there a debate among the engineers on how to solve this problem? Mm. Because like engineers love a good debate. And I think it's a really healthy sign if they're energized about the problem that they'll be sort of like vigorously debating the issue. If there isn't debate, then I think that means that there's a lack of energy or intellectual, certainly like there's a lack of intellectual rigor going into this. And so that means that something might be off. Right. Yeah. If it's just like, oh, this PM said we had to do this thing, so we're going to do it. And we're not going to think beyond just sort of doing exactly what was written in some ticket somewhere. Exactly. Right. If it's just like, okay, yeah, we can go do that. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) You're like, something's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're working on a project right now, and one of the sort of a bigger cross, it involves many, a handful of individual sort of product teams, and I think that was the moment that I was waiting for was when we went from, okay, this is the thing we're going to work on, and then there was that sort of quiet period, and you know, I'm sitting there stressing out thinking, uh-oh, like, do they hate me? Do they like it? How do they feel? And then seeing a Slack channel start to sort of light up with questions and examples and debate. And that's when I knew like, okay, we're good. We got over that first hump because they're engaging in the problem. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the second big win for me tends to be when, you know, you're at a point where you need to explain the problem to another team, right? Whether it's a cross-functional effort, you have a dependency on another engineering team and you go into that meeting. When an engineer on the team is able to take the lead in explaining the customer problem, the business context, the use case, that's when I'm just like, hallelujah. Because then you know that that handoff went smoothly, that like engineering gets the why, and then they can go and lead the what, and you you are just there to facilitate, but you don't always have to be the one who has to explain the use case or the business context. And so that's really big is when, when they can translate that themselves. Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely a pitfall that product managers can fall into when they think that it has to be them or that if it's not them saying, always leading that discussion, that they're not doing their job or that they think that that's the only way that they can show that they're doing their job. And I agree. I think it's much more powerful when the PM steps back and allows the team to present because that means that they've done their job so well that they don't always have to be the voice. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that you actually now have more voices that can carry this forward, that can evangelize this idea, that can present and demo this idea. Like one of the things that I love to do is ask the engineering team to show off their work when we're at like an all hands or any space which involves sort of demoing our work. I would love if if our engineering team was doing the demoing um, because it not only creates a platform for them to truly shine, but again, it makes it a collaborative effort where it isn't just always product that has to carry that forward. Right. And do you think, and this is definitely a leading question, but I, I'm curious how you think about the impact that building these relationships has on your career more broadly? Huh, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, first off, to be an effective PM, you need to work in a kind of airtight way with your engineering and design counterparts right? Like it's just truly like three, you know, you've heard, there's so many different analogies for this. There's the idea that like three legs of a stool, product engineering and design, but really I think like a PM cannot be effective without their engineering and design counterparts. They're truly just, I think, not as competent. So, so there's that. For me personally, I've just learned so much from working closely with my engineering team. I've, you know, learned so much about persuasion and influence and things like that, that we've been talking about, but also sort of I've, I've grown as a person through those relationships. And I think some of my closest professional relationships now are with some of the engineers on my team. And that's been really fruitful for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I would echo that in my own career. And I, I do think that you're not at some point, it's going to be really hard to progress if you don't have those relationships, because you're right. It's really hard to build something well, if the team isn't working well together while they're doing it. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, a product manager's a core aspect of your job description is alignment, right? And and fundamentally what you're doing is you're like handing off, um, there's all these handoff points. There's handoff points with engineering and design, with product marketing, with sales, with customer success. So you need to make sure that all of those handoff points are as smooth as possible because if things are falling through the cracks, then you're just not going to get the kind of outcomes that, that you need as a team. Um, so I think across the board, making those handoffs as, as like seamless as you can is should always be the core focus. Yeah, agree. All right. So while we're on the topic of product and what makes us successful, I'm curious, what are the best pieces of advice, career advice that you've received? Ooh, I like that. So actually, some of the best career advice, can I, can I give you a couple? You said pieces. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, all, all the advice you can, you can <laughs> It's not even, it's not my advice. It's some stuff that I've, I've heard from one of my favorite um, professors in grad school, actually. Something she said that I've, I've recently taken to heart is, is this idea that a good career story always has these two ingredients, which is serendipity and audacity. The idea was that you need some element of serendipity, right? Sometimes you got to go with the flow. You need to just sort of let things play out and see where they take you. But you also need to be audacious and sometimes sort of make tough decisions and be willing to turn that ship around. And so I've been thinking, you know, more deeply about that just as in terms of like, when do you let life take you somewhere versus when do you sort of, you know, pump the brakes and, and turn that ship around? using two analogies for cars and ships in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. Yeah, I think about that a lot around like, you know, and I, I talked to a lot of friends about that too, is like now is the time to be audacious. Mm-hmm. The second one also from the same professor ties back to what we're talking about actually is this idea that you don't always have to dazzle people with how smart you are. You can also dazzle them by how kind or compassionate you are. You can also dazzle them with how funny you are, how thoughtful you are. And I think 
taking that back to working with engineering, as someone who deals with imposter syndrome, as someone who's not technical, when I started out in product, I was so worried of, you know, I wanted to seem smart in front of the engineering team. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to think, I wanted them to think that I was really smart. And I realized that like, if I stop focusing on that, and instead I really just focus on how to be a really good working partner with this team, that the rest of the stuff just kind of falls into place. Mm-hmm. So I think when you take the focus away from trying to be the smartest person in the room to something else that you can bring to the table, it can really go a long way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love those two pieces of advice. Who is the professor? Uh, her name is Young Mi Moon. She teaches brand strategy. Yes, I was curious. Disclaimer, we both went to the same grad school. And Young Me has a fantastic podcast as well. So I recommend everyone check that out. Perfect. Okay, well, good segue. My last question for you is what are you reading or recommending to people these days? You know, I think just in this crazy world we live in, I consume a lot of short form content, just sort of bite sized pieces. And most recently, I've been recommending James Clear's newsletter. So James Clear, if um, I don't know if you're aware, he sort of wrote this book, Atomic Habits, that uh, is a bestseller around how to form sort of long-lasting, healthy habits. I actually haven't read his book, but his newsletter is fantastic. It's, it's a three-to-one newsletter, and what he presents to you every week is sort of three ideas, two quotes, and one question. And it's a really, really quick and easy way to sort of reflect on your own habits. And, and I think, you know, especially as the new year is kicking off, I found it to be really helpful for me to think about how I change my own habits. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I like that it sounds like that's short. I have several newsletters I subscribe to that are piling up in my inbox and will probably continue to pile up in my inbox for the rest of the year. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's one I could actually get through. Exactly. That's one that you can read in like five seconds and be like, oh, yeah. that was helpful. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, Ravneet, thank you so much for coming on the show. I loved your examples and your advice. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Maggie. Thanks for having me.